This is Andrew Evans, bringing you Unboarded Uncut. While I'm planning the next instalment of the main podcast, I thought I'd put out a few bonus episodes of various bits and pieces. If you happen to be hearing this episode before you've heard anything else, then please stop, go back and listen either to episode one or to the omnibus edition of the story so far. When I interviewed Chris Hendricks, the head researcher at the RAF Museum, it was obvious that he had a wealth of information and that it was going to be tough to fit it all into a normal episode. For example, we spoke about the planes that my grandfather would have flown when he served with 320 Squadron during the war, the first being the Lockheed Hudson, which was actually a commercial airliner that had been adapted for military use. They have one at the RAF Museum, and you can see the redundant passenger windows down each side. The Hudson arrived early in the war, and so this is 1940 all the way to, well, let's say 1944. Some of them are still flying towards the end of the war. This uh, it's an aircraft which is, which is not well known, uh, and I think for a large part it is because it was earlier in the war, and they tend to remember the ones towards the end of the war more. Mm. Um, mainly because they were more successful in the beginning of the war because of the conditions that the Allies were fighting and they didn't always um, have that much success, mm. um, Battle of Britain being one notable exception. Anyway, Hudson is also not very well known because of the tasks that it fulfilled. Um, so it was with Coastal Command. It did maritime reconnaissance, which basically means flying hours and hours over the North Sea and the Atlantic Ocean, mm-hmm. uh, trying to find a, a German submarine. Right. Uh, not the most glamorous task at all. So it's mm-hmm. a very boring task, really. Uh, but it was essential. So it was a very useful aircraft. It was used in a lot of different roles. Mm-hmm. And the, it was an American aircraft. The Americans produced a lot of them and exported, well, gave a lot to the Royal Air Force, um, which also meant that the Royal Air Force could, uh, could use its bombers that it was producing itself for bomber command and actually bomb mm-hmm. Germany. So not only was it a very important aircraft, it also allowed the other aircraft, the bomber aircraft, to be used specifically for bombing Germany. Because they weren't having to double up as reconnaissance. That's it, yes. Okay. So it is a very, very important aircraft in mm. history, um, but largely forgotten. This led to a more general discussion about the tactics of Bomber Command. And if I were a better writer, I might have been able to weave this into the narrative somehow. In any case, though, it's an important topic that deserves to be heard in its own right here. So in the beginning of the war, um, there was quite a bit of confidence that Bomber Command would have been able to take out specific targets uh, in, within Germany. So, of course, of course, very dangerous as well because they had to fly from Britain all the way to Germany. Um, so first of all, the most important thing to remember is that they flew at night. So Bomber Command always flew at night right. uh, simply because they realized that the bombers would have been too vulnerable to fly at daytime because mm-hmm. they would have been intercepted by fighter aircraft. Now, later on, Germans uh, developed night fighters, so they were fighter aircraft which had radar on board and would have been able to, 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 to find them, though still a lot harder than would have been the case with day fighters because sure. you only have uh, a few electrical signals. Anyway, um, it turned out to be very, very difficult for Bomber Command not only to find uh, the target, but then also accurately bomb it. Um, a large part of that was, again, because it was at night time and there was a blackout. So as we had here in this country, there was a general blackout. Right. So at night, there was hardly any lights, really. 
So um, in 1941, there was like a Butt report, as it was called, it was named after somebody who was unfortunately called Butt. And, he, uh, and, and one of the findings was that one out of eight bombs fell within a five-mile radius. Right. So one out of eight bombs fell within, not even on target, within five miles. Mm. So that is not just about the bomb aimer not actually aiming it right. That is really just about not finding the target. So what happened quite early on is, well, they realized, well, we cannot find specific targets or let alone bomb it accurately. But what we can do is just bomb cities. Mm. Uh, so they came up with uh, an official policy, an official tactic, which was called area bombing. Uh, also called, and it was quite euphemistically, uh, de-housing. Basically meant the idea was we are going to attack uh, the cities, we're going to attack residential areas to make people homeless. Right. Of course, that is really a euphemism for saying, well, we're going to go after the civilian population, mm-hmm. um, break their morale, right. uh, or, or deplete them of, of a workforce. Mm-hmm. Now, to be, to be quite clear, this is also what, of course, happened here in the Blitz of as course. well. Even though we know what happened like in the Blitz, it might not always be that well known that for the first years, all the way up to 1944, and in a way, all the way up to Dresden, 1945, Bomber Command attacked cities really to go after the civilians. Mm-hmm. Most bombs by Bomber Command killed women and children rather than soldiers. And there was no military tactical advantage, <laughs> it was a purely morale... Pretty much, yes. Uh, the only thing that they could say is, well, if we, if we, if we kill enough civilians, then they're not going to have a workforce. And then mm-hmm. um, very often it was also because the factories were, of, clo- were of course, in the cities. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit like just going with a rough brush all over it and say, well, we just attack everything mm-hmm. um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get the factories as well. And it's only towards early 1944 that the Allies really got their act together and said, no, 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 we need to go after specific targets. And then they went after the oil industry. Mm-hmm. And that actually had a decisive impact right. on the war. But before that, so for instance, at, at the end of 1943, not on, until early 1944, there was the Battle of Berlin, as it was mm-hmm. called, which, which meant that Bomber Command went night after night to Berlin, bombed it several times. And what was the impact on the war? Negligible, really. Mm. But Bomber Command lost a quarter of its bombers. And, and, and of course, who, who suffered from that? Well, obviously, Bomber Command crew, but then all these people on the ground mm. in, in Berlin. So that is a bit the dark side of the history of the Second World War, the history of the Royal Air Force as mm. well. Um, but, uh, because not only was it morally dubious, it wasn't, there was no advantage really being gained either. You no. couldn't even argue an end justifying the means. Yes, exactly. And I, I sometimes feel that it's a, it's a bit of a case of, of giving a guy a big gun and then, and, then, and then thinking, oh, what can I do with it? Now I've got mm. this big gun. The Royal Air Force had hundreds of bombers and, well, they needed to find a purpose for it. That's pretty much how I see what happened in, in 1941, 1942. There are some instances where they were used for fighting submarines and they had a much bigger military impact really on the outcome than sending those bombers over Berlin. But again, like I said, towards the end of the war, things changed. And by 1944, then most of, the, most of them were used for a very specific military mission which made sense, yeah. but then you see well, towards the end that they still use them for area bombing, which doesn't make sense. It's, it's, it's an interesting, interesting discussion. Mm. The Unboarded Podcast is produced by me, Andrew Evans. Please visit unboardedpodcast.com, hit subscribe and find out more.